Hi again, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Great to have you with us today. I hope you've had a fabulous holiday season, got all the rest you hoped for. Uh, or for those of you with extended families, maybe going back to work is actually the rest you've been hoping for. I know what that can be like. So the year 2020 is now upon us. New decades just started. Really exciting stuff. Tokyo Olympics coming up in August this year. I'm sure we're going to be chatting a bit more about that uh, further down the track. And even before that, pretty Donnelly, our sales and marketing manager, is now burning the midnight oil, preparing our annual summary and projections report, which we normally publish around this time. So that's based on observations and estimates by top industry experts and publication, as well as our own two cents based on last year's transactions. So we're going to have her here on the show again, which is always a bonus to share with us what last year looked like and what this year might bring. But not today. For the first episode of this new year, I thought it'd be nice if we could talk a little bit about tenant profiles. So we've mentioned all sorts of tenants in passing in various episodes that we've done in the past. We talked about the ideal tenant as far as the length of the tenancy goes. So we know that um, single females, for instance, in their late 30s and over are unlikely to get married and also sadly are not very likely to be promoted to any new roles or be relocating to other company offices as a rule in Japan, which means that their living arrangements are the least likely to change of all tenant types. Plus, they also tend to take better care of the properties that they live in as a general rule. So that'll be our ideal tenant as far as the length of the tenancy and as far as maintenance and renovation bills go. We've also spoken a bit about Japanese students. So if we're purchasing properties that are near university or college campus, etc., we know that these guys can change over a bit more frequently than other tenants because they normally finish their degrees or courses um, anywhere between two to five years on average, but there's always a ready supply of them. We've also spoken about monthly lease tenants who are normally company employees or businessmen who are in a particular town for shorter periods of time, normally no more than a year per project or so. And these guys tend to rent furnished apartments in central city locations, um, or they could sometimes be domestic or international visitors or in a particular location for a particular reason, like attending a series of events or studying a course like martial arts or some traditional craft, um, attending language school, etc., and also could be people who are in town to attend to sick or elderly relatives for a limited period of time. So we've discussed these particular tenant profiles when we were discussing particular property types, but we haven't really done a deep dive into each and every one of these tenants as far as understanding the unique challenges that come with each and every one of them. And there definitely are unique challenges that should be recognized in advance None of these uh, tenant profiles are better or worse overall. So each tenant type comes with its own challenges and caveats. But since different investors have different tastes and different levels of tolerance for different types of issues that they may need to deal with, you know, some of us are more sensitive to time wasted and hands-on hassles. Um, some are more sensitive to financial setbacks and some are just allergic to particular types of people. So probably wouldn't hurt to know what we can expect to be coming up against so that we can avoid or at least reduce the types of scenarios that we're faced with on a regular basis. And that can often mean avoiding particular property profiles or even particular locations to begin with. So it all factors back again into our deal selection as well. So as we've mentioned here, Time and time again, the easiest type of property to find tenants for in Japan are usually small studios or one-bedroom apartments. 
which are known here as 1R, 1K, 1DK, and 1LDK. So 1R stands for room, being a studio with an enclosed um, kitchenette sort of arrangement. 1K being a studio with a separate kitchen area. And then the D and the L stand for dining room, living room, respectively. And the smaller and older the unit is, the lower the rent and purchase price will be, with the purchase price graph rising far more sharply than the rental graph, which means that the smaller and older units will also generate the highest yields percentage-wise. But they also attract the lowest income tenants. So what does that actually mean? And bear in mind that these are all gross generalizations, of course. There are definitely exceptions to the norm as far as this profiling uh, that we're going to do here goes. But over the course of time and as your portfolio grows, you will probably find that the majority of tenants um, who fit these socioeconomic profiles also fit the behavior profiles that we're going to be um, describing here, or at least in the vast majority of cases. Well, the first and most typical type of tenant that you'll get in these studio properties, um, considering Japan's demographics tendencies being the world's fastest aging society and so forth, are middle-aged or late middle-aged, uh, low-income company staffers, pensioners. And again, because of the Japanese tendency to avoid changes, these late middle-agers will often end up retiring from their jobs and growing old and becoming pensioners in the same tiny old apartments as well. So we can really treat this particular profile in the same way. The main differentiation here would be between female and male tenants. Japanese males who have led solitary lives unfortunately tend to be socially challenged overall, meaning they don't tend to leave their homes much and they don't tend to open the door and balcony windows um, very wide very often. So, you know, the typical nosy old neighbor that always sits on their balcony and sips their tea and checks out the action in the street below, this profile is very rare in Japan. Most of these guys lead very secluded lives behind closed doors, closed curtains, most of them would avoid ever having to speak to the property manager, which means that not only are the doors and windows always closed, but they also very rarely report any problem in the property, simply because it's just mentally painful for them to have to communicate with property managers, landlords, anybody else, really. And that means that when basic things that are crucial for the maintenance of a property do break down, things like exhaust fans, um, bits of flooring or wallpaper or silicone strips around windows, screen, etc., that have peeled off, you'll very rarely hear from them. Now, add to that the fact that, again, as we've mentioned here in the past, there are no periodical uh, inspections of properties. So Japanese tenancy laws forbid anyone from entering a tenanted property except by the tenant's own request. And the fact that many of them are heavy smokers so you can sort of imagine what these properties can look like and smell like if and when a tenancy ends. And you can also imagine how much it might cost to bring it back to livable and rentable status. And we've covered this here in the past as well when we discussed maintenance costs. We'll link to that episode in the show notes so you can refresh your memory. Female tenants of this profile are a little bit better in this regard. So as long as they don't uh, die in the property, which is, again, unfortunately not an uncommon occurrence uh, in a country with the world's largest elderly population. And that, of course, adds to the hassles and the expenses involved if and when that happens. If you happen to have a single pensioner who is not socially awkward and does communicate, They'll often be what we refer to as uh, chronic complainers or claimers, as they're known here in Japan. 
and that's the type that just phones in once or twice a month to complain about something that requires maintenance uh, to the property manager, even if it doesn't really require maintenance, or even worse, they might try to contact the owner directly uh, to complain about the property manager, mainly more so because they're bored and lonely than as a result of any serious problem. But overall, these guys, the claimers, are far preferable to the silent types because they will let you know when there's something in the property that does require attending to. And they do tend to take far better care of the properties uh, than the hikikomori, the uh, social recluse types. Now, the other types that might inhabit these um, older studio and one-bedroom apartments are young Japanese students or various blue-collar workers, shift workers, factory workers, unemployed, disabled folk, very low-level salarymen. And these are generally better tenants as far as maintenance goes, uh, simply because their tenancies don't tend to last as long. You'll also sometimes have a um, bedroom community type property, which means there'll be somebody staying there just during the week as they work in a nearby big city. And then on the weekend, they go back to their families in another city. These guys hardly even use the property for anything except sleeping. So again, maintenance, renovations on the low side. Um, The blue collar tenants do, however, occasionally have some payment issues or delays, not nearly as bad as in most other countries. And again, we've mentioned here in past episodes, in Japan, normally the worst case scenario in case of a tenant rent default is that you might need to send them a letter asking them to uh, pay immediately and then send them another letter asking them to vacate the property. And that's it. They'll be on their merry way. Plus, with Japanese tenants, you will usually have legal recourse as well. So you'll be able to track them down to demand any outstanding payments. The only exception to this is if the property is being rented by a small company, and used as a company dorm for some of the staff. Well, in these cases, the company itself might simply go out of business and declare bankruptcy, and that makes collection pretty much near impossible. But still, these tenancies tend to be shorter overall, normally no longer than four or five years at most, usually more like two or three years. So the extent of damages here is far more limited uh, in comparison with these 10 or 20-year tenancies that are more typical to late middle-agers and pensioners. Now, with the larger of the older and smaller studio apartments, you could also occasionally have a single mom plus child sort of tenant. These ladies are very good tenants. They can occasionally have some payment issues as well, but the properties would normally be in very good shape when they vacate them. The only other potential problematic tenant in these older and uh, smaller properties are low-income foreign workers or foreign students. So these are young people mostly from other Asian countries who come here to work or study Japanese and work. And the problem with these guys and girls is that it's really, really easy for them to simply abscond. So they disappear altogether, which unfortunately does happen fairly often. And not being Japanese, not having any immediate family members or guarantors that they want to avoid troubling, that can lead them to just simply disappear, uh, leaving properties in very bad shape. So we're talking door left open. Not a big deal in Japan. There's not, you know, too many squatters or junkies who would take advantage of that, but also can be filthy, full of personal belongings. There might be food rotting in the fridge or in rubbish bags on the floor um, or even just left on the sink or bench. And outlets and fixtures are damaged. So it can be a bit of a nightmare. And you want to be extra vigilant when you take these tenants on and don't just settle on your typical one or two month security deposits but also make sure that they sign up with a guarantee company or a rent insurance company. And those companies will cover most of their damages uh, as well as the loss of rental income because 
Again, these types of tenants, unfortunately, can and do occasionally miss out on a few months of rent before somebody actually notices and they disappear. And again, female tenants can be a little bit better in this regard, but we definitely had cases where they've left properties in this condition as well. And the fact that them foreign workers or foreign students often bunk two or three or more per studio apartment without receiving any permission or without reporting to the property manager. And then these two or three people end up using their kitchens a lot more than your typical Japanese tenant as well. And that as well doesn't help for the general condition of the property. So moving up from that profile to newer and larger studio or one-bedroom apartments, so more spacey, modern types come with lofts, uh, more windows, larger floor space, sometimes even internet and so forth. So the guys renting these apartments would mostly be young professional, white-collar types, entry-level company staffers that are on the way up and so forth, uh, sometimes English teachers, so meaning uh, more Western foreigners, more upmarkety foreign tenants. These are relatively trouble-free tenants. The only problem being is that their tenancies can be very short. So they'll often leave Middle East because their company relocates them or they get married or they find a new job in another town. Not a huge financial headache. So they normally pay their debts when they have any, but it can be quite frustrating to be faced with a vacancy once a year as opposed to once every three, five or 10 years. So do be aware of this fact that if you buy these properties that are nicer and more modern, you will have less financial issues, but you'll also have to deal with vacancies more often. And again, as we mentioned, percentage yield overall does tend to be lower the bigger and newer a property is. On the upside, these studio and one, two bedroom units, even the older ones, can always be converted into monthly rentals as opposed to long-term rentals. So as long as they're in relatively central locations within 10 minutes or so to a reasonably central uh, train or subway station, Low-yield studio or single better can usually generate much higher income if you do rent it out by the month. But as we've discussed when we spoke about monthly rentals here, and we'll link to those episodes as well in the show notes, the yields can fluctuate with those depending on season, competition, all sorts of macroeconomic and tourist trends, whereas long-term tenants are a lot more stable as far as income and vacancies go. And the other main advantage with monthly rentals, again, is that you can also use the property for your own personal purposes if they're in a location that you tend to visit on a regular basis. Although if you are going to stay in it more than, say, two months a year or so, it may not be worth it for your monthly lease property manager to take it on. They'll want higher, um, higher occupancy from their guests. So you do want to discuss that with them in advance if that is what you aim to do. So moving up. Family-sized apartments and houses, um, still nothing luxurious on the older side of the buildier scale. These can be some of your best tenants. So families tend to stay for a much longer time and they take very good care of properties as a rule. There's obviously more wear and tear, but nothing that you can hold them up to as um, actual damage. The main issue with families is that they're harder to come by. Again, declining population, people tend to stay single. So when a property does become vacant, it could stand vacant for as long as a year before the right family comes along who actually wants to rent it from you. And also renovations, obviously, between tenants can cost a lot more because you've got more rooms to cover. And in the case of houses, maintenance renovations are even higher because you also need to take care of the exterior. And with Japanese building standards and practices, again, we've mentioned this here in the past as well, structures are usually not built to last that long. So once a house hits the... Um, 20 or 30 year age mark, maintenance does tend to rise quite exponentially. And it's often a better idea to simply tear it down and rebuild it. 
What else? Luxury properties, not something that we'd normally get into too deeply as far as tenant profiles are concerned, um, simply because luxury properties are mainly purchased for the owner's personal use. So whatever short-term or monthly income they can generate uh, when their owners are not using them, the owners will take. I mean, whatever the property can generate, they're happy with. Normally, the people who buy these are not too phased with generating income from them as well. As long as they cover the monthly building fees, the owners tend to be happy. So again, tenant profiles, not a huge issue. There's probably just one more sweet spot sort of in between the one-bedroom apartments and the family-sized uh, apartments or houses. And these are two or three bedroom apartments and houses. These will usually be occupied by young couples uh, with or without a couple of small children. Great tenants in most cases, but you really shouldn't assume they'll stay very long. So young couples tend to upsize very quickly. So the children go up or they'll have more children. They relocate when that gets repositioned in a different city. Or they'll simply end up getting a mortgage and buying their own place as soon as they can afford it. So it's quite rare that you'll be buying into those. They're mainly sold to owners, occupiers, not your typical investment property in Japan. Now, if you're purchasing a family-sized or couple-sized investment property and you happen to get a foreign couple or a mixed, um, say, foreign Japanese couple in there, just be aware that foreign tenants tend to be far more demanding than Japanese tenants overall. And they do take care, they do take better care of the properties that they live in, but they also have far more demands and requests. And that is well within the rights. It's simply something that Japanese tenants tend to avoid as Japanese tenants consider debate or negotiation or requesting anything to be a conflict. So you'll often have foreign tenants, um, threaten landlords with court action whenever something doesn't work exactly as they expect it to, or if they're asked to vacate a property because the owner wants to repurpose it for any reason or renovate it and so forth. Again, well within their rights, they're usually not going to win any court cases, but not something that would normally happen with Japanese tenants. So just be aware that this can be an issue if you're planning on being a hands-off landlord or you simply have other plans for the property down the track. In those cases, you should probably aim for Japanese tenants instead. So that's it. Um, probably more than you ever wanted to know about the various uh, tenant types you can get in Japan, but hopefully information that will come in handy if and when you start reviewing potential tenants for your property, or even when you consider what type of property you're going to buy next. Just bear in mind that different properties attract different types of tenants. Make sure you get the types of tenants that you're happy to deal with on a regular basis. Hope to have you with us again next time. Do feel free to share this podcast with your networks if you think they might find the information useful as well. Leave us your thoughts, your comments in the comments section of whatever, wherever you might have found this podcast. And if you could take a short moment of your time to leave us a rating or even better, a worded review um, in the iTunes uh, store, your word of mouth really helps us reach more and more people who can benefit from this content. And it helps us better fine tune our content to suit your needs as well. So it's a win-win for everyone involved. Wishing you a fantastic new year from all of us here at NTI. And of course, as always, happy home hunting.